Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The University of Oregon's track and field program is one of the best in the world, and the school has pushed the limits for decades to help athletes trim their times, boost their throws and jumps, and live up to Eugene's Tracktown USA nickname. But some former female athletes said the school went too far. I'm Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with you, Oregonian. Before we start, a quick thank you to our sponsor, Pacific Source Health Plans, for supporting the show. Up next, Ken Go, the longtime and now retired reporter for the Oregonian and Oregon Live, who worked at the paper for four decades and has covered track and field since the late 1980s. We talked about his story on how U of O's data-driven approach to weight and body fat percentages have put female athletes at risk of unhealthy behaviors, like eating disorders and body dysmorphia. We discussed why he thinks the story reverberated nationally, and much more. Here's our conversation. Ken Go, thanks for coming back on the show. Yeah, my pleasure to be here, Andrew. Thanks for having me. So, Ken, you had a remarkable story about the University of Oregon's world-famous track program um, and the women's side. Where where were you in your life and career when this story kind of first popped on your radar? Yeah, I was retired. Um, I'd been at the Olympic trials uh, covering them, uh, Olympic trials for track and field, covering them uh, for the Oregonian as a freelancer. And uh, somebody I know uh, who knows these women uh, approached me and said, hey, would you be interested in doing this story? And uh, he gave me uh, a piece of paper that had some uh, remarkable allegations on it. And I thought, oh, geez, uh, this this is this is heavy duty stuff. And I'm not sure I want to do it as a retired uh, sports writer. So I actually uh, went to the Oregonian first and said, hey, I think there's a story here. Mm-hmm. Are you interested? And um, the response I got from managers, both in sports and news side was, yeah, we're interested, but we don't have anybody free to do it. Uh, would you mind looking into it? So that's how it started. You know, we get a lot of tips in, in this gig. Um, and I'm sure you've gotten a lot of tips through the years. Um, when you, when you saw that, you know, these allegations, which we'll get to, I mean, did you kind of instantly know that this was different than some of the other you know, calls or tips you get through the years? No. I mean, I didn't know who the the intermediary uh, was putting me in contact with. I didn't know if this was somebody just trying to settle a score. Um, you know, that uh, the issues of uh, women athletes and male coaches is a really big one right now. And I didn't know, uh, again, if this was somebody who had an axe to grind with Robert Johnson was trying to do it through me. I, I did. I really didn't know anything. And um, all I had were some allegations that were on a piece of paper that were not supported. So um, when I agreed uh, with Therese Bottomley that I would look into it, that's where I started was, you know, is there anything here? Is is, is there some, you know, uh, facts behind uh, what this piece of paper is saying? So let's get into the reporting process, I guess. What did you... Um 
describe what you learned from these former athletes that you highlighted in the piece and um how how much uh you, know, you you mentioned you were retired after you know 40 40 years at the Oregonian so how, how did you um find time to to work on this and and enjoy your life at the same time yeah well my wife would say i i uh, was actually acting like i was working full time again she <laughs> she wasn't a big fan of me taking this on um it, it was very time consuming and and i'm sure you know that andrew cuz you've done pieces like this too it's it it's very consuming cuz you're calling people uh, from all over the country. Uh, you're trying to convince people to talk who may or may not want to. Mm-hmm. Um, in this case, I, I tried to convince the women to go on the record thinking um, that would make the piece stronger. They had some very good reasons for not wanting to. Um, I, I called one and that would lead to another, which would lead to another, which would lead to another. So, And, and some women I talked to uh, just said, thanks, no thanks. I don't want to be any part of this. Um, so it and then I felt it had to be a balanced story. I didn't want to just do a hit job on uh, Robert Johnson and the Oregon track program. So uh, I went to them. I said, hey, uh, this is what I'm hearing. Uh, are you willing to talk about it? And uh, Robert Johnson uh, wanted to talk about it. He he thought that he had a a case and a, a compelling, compelling reasons for why he was doing things the way he did them and actually invited me down to Eugene. We spent uh, most of a morning together. He offered to give me a DEXA scan. And then uh, I thought I needed to talk to the university. So I, I uh, and that was a little bit of a chore trying to get somebody to take accountability for this and um, offer some sort of comment about what was happening and, and whether they agreed with it there. And then I needed somebody independently. I wanted uh, sports psychologists or uh, people with uh, knowledgeable about eating disorders to talk about uh, what was happening at Oregon and uh, whether uh, in the in the estimation of these experts, whether what Oregon was doing could trigger these sorts of behaviors. And that was hard, too, because a lot of people who have expertise did not want to get into the middle of something uh, between athletes and a powerful, uh, at least powerful in track circles, uh, institution like the University of Oregon. So um, I actually spent a couple of weeks trying to find... Um, people who would talk to me who were experts in the field so yeah it, it was a lot of it was a lot of work <laughs> well let's let's get into the some of the crux of the um the allegations that these uh, half dozen former U of O athletes made can you just talk about what exactly they were for people who might not have read the story by now there's a a fairly recent um technological tool that the university of oregon has access to called a dexa scan mm-hmm. um from my reading, it's primarily used uh, to to diagnose and treat osteoporosis in older women. However, it also uh, precisely measures body fat. Um, I think the University of Oregon track program, and, and I think I don't think it's the only program at athletic program at the school that does this, but they they measure their athletes, um, and I think uh, for body fat and for bone density because. Um, Especially in track, that's an issue. If, if your bone density uh, lessens, you're at greater risk for stress fractures in your feet and lower leg. Um, but it's the body fat uh, percentage measurements that uh, cause the issue here. Um, uh, they uh, were asking, at least in the cases of these women, I don't know if it was universal, but these women were asked to... Uh, maintain or, or lower a body fat, their lower, their body fat percentage. Um, and in some cases, uh, trying to do this, um, 
uh, led them into dangerous territory as far as eating disorders um, yeah. and potentially injury. So that, that was their complaint. Um, uh, at least one of them had raised this with the administration and sent an email actually uh, to the senior woman's administrator in the athletic department uh, detailing her concerns. But as far as I can tell, uh, nothing had happened. The, the school had continued to do this. And uh, five of the six women I talked to um, had left the program with eligibility remaining, meaning that they were uh, good athletes. They they were the kind of, I'm not saying they were Olympians, but they they were the kind of athlete that could score at the Pac-12 level. They, they were clearly valuable contributors to the Oregon track team and and left the program over these issues, in some cases going on to other uh, Division One schools uh, and getting athletic scholarships there. Yeah, I I have to say I have a I was pretty surprised when I read your piece because um I, I had some knowledge about a Dexa machine just from my personal life. Um, you know, my my dad uh is a retired physician and he treated diabetics and he had one of these machines in in his room in his office and you know, so I had a knowledge of, you know, what it was used for and to see it used in this way um for amateur athletics was pretty shocking for me yeah well you know in 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 robert johnson's case is that uh body fat percentage does factor into athletic performance um that these athletes come to the university of oregon with high goals um they in a lot of cases want to compete for ncaa championships Mm -hmm. and burst on the olympic team um and this is one tool that the university of oregon has to help these uh women and and i think men men are measured too to reach their athletic potential. So he, he views this as a positive thing. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned you tried to get the, the women to speak on the record and, and they didn't and cited some pretty, um, salient reasons why, I mean, you've covered this program for decades. Can you describe just how powerful the U of O is nationally and internationally for those who might not fully comprehend it, who aren't as dialed into the sports world as, as you are? Yeah, well, and I think not just the sports world, but track circles. Um, yeah. Uh, the University of Oregon is the preeminent track and field program in the country, I think, um, because, one, uh, a lot of uh, Division One schools, particularly in the the Power Five conferences, uh, treat track as just an ancillary part of it, and they're, they're all about football and basketball. That's different at the University of Oregon, Uh in large part because one, they have a tradition of success going back to, to Bill Hayward and Bill Bowerman mm-hmm. who were, and Bill Dellinger all uh, considered great coaches in, in the history of collegiate track and field. Uh, and Bill Bowerman, uh, one of the coaches uh, joined with one of his former runners, Phil Knight uh, to form Nike. So, um, and, and Nike now uh, is one of the preeminent uh, sports apparel uh, uh, companies in the world. Um, and beyond that has an outsized, uh, importance in track and field circles because, um, Nike sponsors track and field athletes, professional track and athletes. Most, most of them can't make money, just can't turn pro and make money. They need somebody to underwrite their training costs and, and to hire coaches and, and to, um, to have access to facilities, um, give them gear. Uh, Nike is the, uh, at least in the U S is the program that, most uh sponsors most u.s professionals so and then going beyond that um the university of oregon has hayward field which uh phil knight 
donated, I don't know, somewhere between 200 and $300 million, I believe, to rebuild and make it into the finest, and it is, the finest uh, track and field-only facility in the U.S. and one of the finest in the world. Um, and because they have that facility, then many major mm-hmm. events, including the Prefontaine Classic, which is a professional track meet, arguably the, the best in the world, certainly the best in North America, held there annually. Um, the NCAA championships are held there almost every year. Um, the world 2000, right. what was supposed to be the 2021 world championships became the 2022 world championships because of the pandemic will be there next summer. So it's, it's, it's at the pinnacle. It's, it's the Olympus of track and field. Yeah. And, and obviously the Olympic trials, um, have been held there, um, going on, going on, um, what going back to, is it every four years since 08? Yeah. Yes, correct. Um, so obviously what, um, there's a culture of maybe not overt, uh, intimidation, but I mean, it's a, it's a powerful, um, place and speaking out publicly can have consequences. Well, yeah. And, and Robert Johnson in his position as coach is close ties to Nike and, and close ties to that facility. So, um, you're in, if you're a athlete with aspirations to compete in the Olympic trials or the world championships and you come out and accuse Robert Johnson of doing something untoward, then you're vulnerable. Yeah. You're just a, an athlete uh, who who may or may not be good enough to qualify for the trials and maybe right on the bubble. Yeah. So um, it's not going to help your case to, to have Robert Johnson as your enemy. And to put a finer point on it, Ken, I mean, this is a program that's had a lot of success. Um, if we go before Robert Johnson and before Vin LaNana, they were having success under a previous coach, but they weren't winning in a way that that Nike cared about, right? And so they can exert power in that way as well. Yeah, um, certainly uh, there are people at Nike that are very invested in how well the University of Oregon track program does. Um, I think you could argue that Bill Bowerman uh, was a pretty successful track coach because in his era, uh, he just coached the men's team. He didn't coach the women. Mm-hmm. There was really, for most of his tenure, I believe all of it, there was no women's track program. So. Um, by adding women, you double the potential championship potential for teams to, to win championships in and, um, under Bowerman, uh, Oregon did not particularly care about the indoor season. Mm-hmm. Um, the current coaching staff does. So that adds another layer of championships that, um, you know, Oregon can win. So. And I think I, what I was alluding to is if, if Oregon isn't as successful in the middle and long distance, um, uh, events in, in the track side, which is, you know, the, the DNA of, of Nike and the DNA of, you know, the whole, the whole enterprise. I mean, that's a really important thing, right? And that's been imparted for, for years. Yeah. I think particularly for the men's team, I'd say the women's team is, uh, since women's track has come in is, has more broad base than that. And actually a lot of Oregon's recent success on the women's side has been with their sprint program. Not not that they've been bad at distances, right. but they've had some of the best sprinters in the U.S. Yeah, English Gardner and others you've profiled through the years. Jenna Brandini. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So are are all track athletes required to, to use these machines, or is it kind of emphasized more depending on what events people specialize in? No, uh, according to Robert Johnson, all of them are tested, male and female. You know, I'm curious, Ken, um, you know, it's 2021, and... and um, 
I guess I was kind of a little bit surprised by some of the by by the defense from Coach Johnson that maybe there wasn't as much awareness of you know body image and healthy bodies and in all athletes, but especially um, female athletes is is not something that's like a new. Uh, thing that coaches is particularly coaches of women should be attuned to D- is that something that he seems attuned to or is it more just the data piece that that jump that jumps out in terms of how he coaches the team yeah you know based on his comments to me and i don't know what he thinks in his heart of hearts but um he's he's very focused on getting them to perform at their best athletically um i don't think he is as concerned about the mental approach. Uh, I think, I don't think he, he thinks that's not important, but I think he says we've got mental health professionals to help them deal with that. And that that's not his role. Let's take a quick break. Then we'll come back and talk more with Ken Go, the longtime reporter for the Oregonian and Oregon live who's now retired and still breaking news on the beat. Okay, Ken. So you've covered a lot of U of O coaches through the years and Particularly in track and field, it's all about getting an edge, it seems, more than a lot of other sports. You know, carving a few seconds off uh, off your pace is, you know, or a few middle, middle, you know, hundreds of a second off, off of pace is critical. So can you think of other examples through the years of um, what U of O teams have done to try to get an edge and um, anything that leaps to mind? Well, th- you know, the, the biggest edge they have is money and, and support, uh, both from Nike and from the university. Like I say, uh, there are other good track and field programs in the country at the division one level, Arkansas, Florida, LSU, um, USC all spring to mind. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think they have the, the same profile in their institutions that the university of Oregon does. It is a, the, the program does at the university of Oregon. So, I would say that's <clears throat> their biggest edge. And then along with that is the financial support of Nike. Yeah. The new track stadium, if you talk to the, the people in the Oregon track program, is most valuable as a training facility. They, they've got they've left nothing to chance. They, there's nothing that those athletes could want that isn't provided. You know, but and and in all weathers. I mean they the concourse is uh double as an indoor training facility. I mean they, there's nothing they could want that isn't there. So I don't know how, you know, USC has good athletes and LSU has good athletes, Texas A&M, mm-hmm. a great track program, Arkansas. I don't know how they compete against that. If, if that, if that matters, if, if, in, if you're, they're uh, uh, trying to recruit an athlete with Olympic aspirations and, and they care about access to first class facilities, none of these, uh, no, there's no school in the country that can compete with that. I, I guess, um, you know, when you think back to previous eras where Oregon has always had this emphasis on track, on track and field and track down USA down in Eugene and whatnot. I mean, were there, were there other technologies like a DEXA machine or was it, you know, more of a, you know, we're going to go train at elevation up in, I don't know, up in the cascades or what have you, are, are there any other things that leap to mind or comparable in terms of like pushing the envelope that you can recall through the years? Well, the obvious answer is shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, back when um, Bowerman was coaching the program, he didn't like the quality of shoes that were available to him. Even the the ones which were considered elite at the time, or, or the sort of the the standard, was uh, probably Adidas, and and he didn't like them. So he said, "I can build a better shoe than that." So he did. He actually um, 
got together with the I don't know how accurate it is. Right. The apocryphal story is he used his wife's waffle iron to design the the waffle sold shoe that, and that became standard in the industry for a long time. Um, and he he made these things in his I don't know his garage or his mm-hmm. workshop, you know, with glue and leather and and uh, waffle iron, and they were better than any shoes that um, could be bought. So I mean that was the obvious answer. Um, beyond that, the fact that the community in Eugene has a high percentage of track and field fans. Um, people go to track meets at Oregon in a way they don't anywhere else in the country uh, of which I'm aware. I've, I've covered NCA meets in, at Arkansas, <clears throat> at Drake. Yeah. Um, and, and those places, they're just the number of people that care you can, you know, put in a thimble at, in Eugene, you know, more people obviously go to, to football games and basketball games, but compared to the way it is in the rest of the country, the, the support the Ducks have for track is unbelievable. So, you know, obviously these are elite athletes, but they're amateur athletes. Um, do you do you know, is, is a DEXA machine a common technology used on the pro circuit uh, when it comes to track and field? I don't know for sure. I would suspect uh, there is one at, or more than one at, on the Nike campus where the, the Pete Julian group and the uh, Bowerman Track Club or two of the elite training groups that are headquartered. I would assume if they have them, then <clears throat> the elite uh, Brooks group and the you know the New Balance groups all have access to them. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there is, it is interesting that a lot of the professional runners were th- that have contacted me since the story came out are critical of Oregon's approach, saying they think you get yourself in shape through training. <clears throat> you don't set uh, a bar. And then try to reach that through your training, that that your body will naturally get to the the level it should be at to compete if you're uh, eating properly and, and training at a proper level. And the, the data then bears out, right, in, in your splits or whatever your times that right. you're tracking. Um, yeah. So you have a – I'm glad you brought up just kind of what you've heard since this story ran. And, and you have a deep – Rolodex from around the track and field world, um, and you reached out to people for this story too. Can you just give readers a sense of what um, people outside of Tracktown USA have to say about this practice, um, in- including one, at least one former U of O coach, right? Yeah, I mean, there's a divergence of opinion. A lot of coaches, I mean, this is their methodology. I mean, they think it's important for an athlete to lower his or her body fat to, to be able to compete at an optimum level. You're right. Um, other programs think this is sort of 1980s methodology and that uh, the, the track world has gone beyond that and um, that the mental part of being an athlete is as important as the physical part. And I don't know, I, I tell people that I think this is a little bit like the the show Ted Lasso, right? Um, I don't know if your listeners are familiar with the show, but sort of the premise is this uh, failing uh, first, first Premier League uh, soccer team in in um, England, uh, the owner uh, doesn't care. It even wants the program to the the team to fail. So she goes out and hires a college football coach, American football coach, in in the U.S. to coach the team, believing he will fail because he knows nothing about soccer, and he doesn't. Um, but what he does know is how to uh, build a team and motivate people. And and sometimes that's as important as the you know the the body fat percentages or or the technical expertise of the coach. So, um, yeah, I, I think that, you know, there, there's a, a sense that, um, 
uh, that part of it is, is just as important as the physical part. Yeah. You know, I feel like, you know, this program, which has so much rich history, um, you know, it's, it's, it's got the, the same name as the old stadium, but it's, it's so much different than it, <laughs> it than it used to be. And, um, I don't know, it, you wonder if maybe you lose some of the, the essence that made, uh, made track and field so popular. It's not, you know, people don't come into the stands to watch the body percentage of, of X runner on X team, right? They want to, they want to see those legendary performances. Yeah, it was interesting. One of the runners that retweeted the story uh, uh, is a female distance runner named Kara Goucher, who also uh, tweeted a picture of her uh, uh, at two different times in her career. And one at one point in the career, you, you can see no body fat on her. And the second one, you can see a little jiggle there, but um, the second one was a uh, race in which she had tremendous success. And, and she she's saying, well, and I think it's a common um uh, feeling that many of these pro- professional athletes have is, yeah, body uh, body fat percentage is a factor in success, but it's not the only factor, and it may not be the most important factor either. Where do you think this story goes from here? I mean, a lot of people have picked up on it, and you've done, done a lot of interviews, but I mean, where, what do you think the next steps are from here? Yeah, I've been thinking about that. Um, again, I'm retired, so I don't know uh, how much I want to keep digging into it. I do think it's not just my story. I think this is a, a very big issue now and not just women's sports, but um, society in general, where there's a power dynamic where you have a, a male authority figure and uh, female uh, workers or athletes um, and a sense that uh, often the male authority figure is not listening or caring uh, about the fallout for, from decisions he's making that directly affect the women. Um, so, I mean, I, you can look on almost any any business or profession or, I mean, this is going on and mm-hmm. it's, it's happening professionally uh, here in um, women's soccer. That That's a, a story at least as big as this one um, where um, women were not being treated well as professional soccer athletes. And, and I think maybe that's one reason my story resonated just beyond the track world is because this, it's a societal issue. Yeah. Um, you, you've kind of alluded to some of the feedback you've gotten, but I mean, obviously you're, <laughs> you're retired and even if you're not retired, no one wants to be reading their emails a lot, but I mean, what kind of feedback have you been, uh, getting, uh, or texts or calls, um, since the story went? Well, a lot of it's from former female track athletes who say, I went through this, this happened to me. You're, you're telling my story. This is why I left track. Hmm. Now this is, I had one woman who uh, run at the University of Oregon years ago who had been encouraged to drop her weight to an un- what she considers now to be an unhealthy level um, and praised for doing it by the coach and had one very successful season, then got injured and was never the same. Hmm. And she thinks that that's why, that, that, that the coach at the time put more emphasis on the short-term success for that one season than what her, the rest of her life was going to be like. And um, I, you know, it, it resonated with these people and, and, and she doesn't totally criticize her previous coach because she said he didn't know any better. Um, yeah. but a lot of people are saying, well, why, why are we still doing this? We, we know better now. 
Well, we certainly know a lot more thanks to your reporting on this story and and going back for decades at the Oregonian. Um, thanks so much for the piece and for taking time to talk about it. Yeah, it's, it's my pleasure. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for listening to Beat Check with the Oregonian. I shared a link to Ken's story in the episode notes. If you like this show, give us a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps others find the program. And tell a friend, help spread the word. The best way to support our journalism is through a subscription to Oregon Live. You can do that at OregonLive.com slash pod support. Until next time.